What is your favorite part of the design process? With MTBH and designing for clients, it's always fun to be able to create a space that they're going to call home. All those months of hard work and stress, it's a roller coaster. And then at the end, to finally move in, it's incredible to be a part of that process. Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome back to Talking St. Pete. I am your host. Before we dive into today's guest, I just want to give a big thank you to everyone who is listening, watching, subscribing, liking, sharing with your friends and family. Uh, please continue to do that. If you haven't subscribed, please do that right now. Um, as the show continues to grow, it's all happening because of you guys uh, sharing with your, your awesome friends and family. As we've been growing organically, um, uh, but we do have a sponsor for today's podcast. It's Bogdan Homes. It's, it's my business. It's how we're funding this whole thing. So if you know anyone that's looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate, please reach out. We're more than happy to help, and it's going to keep us uh, this show continuing on and and sharing all the great knowledge of the amazing community here in St. Pete. Uh, today's guest is Lance Moore. I'm so excited to dive into this guy as he's a, an amazing artist and in the director of MTBH Studios, which is one of the top custom builders here in St. Petersburg. They were recognized by Home Builders uh, Digest as one of the top 10 custom home builders in St. Pete in 2019, and they continue to do amazing things. Lance, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm glad that Dominique could set this up for us. Uh, she met you at the at the St. Pete Rising, Rising uh, event. event. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was incredible. Yeah. They had a really good tar- turnout for I I uh, unfortunately wasn't able to make it, but I heard it was it, it packed. Intermezzo was, it was slammed. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. How many people do you think were there? Um, I wanted to I guesstimate right around a hundred or so, but, uh, we talked to the owner Intermesso a few weeks later and he was like, it was only like 60 people. And I was like, no, there's no, no way. Maybe at one time, but yeah. you know, over, you know, over the whole night, there was probably like 150 people, I think, which is pretty good for, yeah, I, for, for a hangout of yeah. that, of a blog that's just sharing amazing things in uh, St. Petersburg. We're really uh, excited. We're actually having them on the show here in a bit, yeah. but this dude, this is all about you. Tell us. MTBH Studios, you're the director of design there. What does that mean? How, like, walk us through what's a day in the life look like for you at MTBH? Yeah, so as the director of design at MTBH, I kind of oversee all things design oriented as the title ensues, but um, it's really just uh, client relations from the time that they walk into the door. I'm trying to understand what their purpose, you know, uh, of come to MTBH, what problems they're trying to solve. Um, and then guide them through the process all the way through. Um, so I take them through, uh, there's three different phases of design, um, which is schematic, SD, DD, design development, and then CD, which is the actual construction document you know, phase. Um, then they enter into the uh, construction contract, and then construction begins. But I don't, I don't leave the client at that time. Uh, my work actually you know, begins at that process because we have to go through all the selections, et cetera. Um, and then I'm there all the way to when we turn over the keys for the CEO. So. Okay, so uh, so for those in, in layman's terms who've never built a home a home before, so I yeah. come, so we come to you guys. We're looking to to build a home, mm-hmm. and I meet with you, and I say, Lance, this is my vision. Do you help me with the vision? Like, walk me through a little bit of the design process because I think that's I what people are going to be yeah, really so interested at, in. At MTBH, we have uh, three different lines of homes or segments of homes now. So um, the owner of MTBH is Richard McGinnis. Uh, he founded the company over a decade ago, um, which was mostly just a custom home builder uh, in the higher-end homes. Um, so we have that line. Um, then we have a, more of a mid-tier line, which is uh, 
uh, called the Right Homes, and then a line that maybe we'll get to talk about, which is the new Y Homes that we're currently launching. Um, so when a client comes in, most of the time that you know they're trying to fill out um, which segment they're going to fall into, most of the clients coming are custom home builders. They have a lot that they purchased, and they're trying to figure out what they can build. Uh, so they, whenever I sit and meet with them, they're handing me the lot, maybe a survey, and they just want to see what they can do and trying to fill us out. Uh, that's typically how the first meeting goes. Uh, so I quickly just try to crunch through the numbers as far as zoning, try to you know fit the you know their program program that they're trying to meet, whether it's you know three bedroom or if they want a guest house, etc. Trying to cram all that in into that meeting just so I know if they're a good fit or not for MTBH. Got um, it. I got it. So what makes someone a good fit? Well, uh, uh, we would love, you know, it, for it to be their design, uh, you know, style that they desire. Uh, modern Tampa Bay Homes have been known for their contemporary architecture. Uh, Richard was one of the first ones in the region to start building contemporary or more modern homes. Um, but we also offer transitional, um, which is not quite traditional. It's somewhere in between. Um, so, you know, we try to fill, fill out first which design styles they kind of fall into, um, obviously, we'll, we we love to work with anyone, mm-hmm. um, uh, but we you know we we tried to figure out which way that they're heading, fill them out. Um, we kind of obviously budget you know is a factor in that, unfortunately. Um, but and especially in today's market, with the way the prices have you know changed mm-hmm. and uh, the, cost of materials, yeah, everything correct. else, yeah, gets a little crazy. Um, so I mean, it, it, that's really cool because if no one has seen any of their designs, I haven't heard of them, MTBH Studios, Google it right now and look at some of these homes because they're freaking awesome. I mean, yeah, the designs and everything are are so cool. So I'm really fascinated in that process. Mm -hmm. I guess that to get to that, Mm -hmm. let's walk back a little bit. How did you get to this role now? I I see Mm -hmm. you, you went, did you go to school in Canada? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's where you got your, your master's, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, so walk us through, how do you become director of design? Yeah, so it, it's a process. Um, so first, obviously, is, is establishing the education or the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you mentioned, I got my master's from McGill uh, University in Montreal. Um, I lived there, had the you know opportunity to go to school there and live there for three years. What was that like? Um, it was incredible. Um, uh, it's an incredible city. Montreal is amazing. Um, but you know, being a Florida boy, it's very cold. Yeah, that's a big change, right? It's a huge change. Uh, and, uh, but it was an incredible time. I met a bunch of incredible people. Um, McGill, uh, is an English speaking school. So it was an easy transition. It wasn't like I had to go out and learn French or first forced to learn French. So, you know, there's two sides to that. Um, but it opened, um, my knowledge base up, um, to different cultures as well. Um, a lot of different students are coming internationally to that school. Um, so it just gave me a, a great new perspective on both design and life. So got it. So what made you pick that school? Was that are they known for architect? I mean, uh, I yeah, talk to me like a fifth grader. I know nothing. Yeah, they are. So I, I got my bachelor's from um, University of Florida mm-hmm. um, in architecture as well, um, and then I had to make a, a, a ter- determination where I wanted to go to grad school. So in architecture, if you want to become licensed, you have to go. Well, things have changed now. It's a little different. There's other you know avenues that you go. At the time when I got my degree, you could either do a professional degree, or you had to go get your master's. Um, I knew I wanted to be licensed. I'm not licensed yet. I'm still in that process. Um, so I needed to pick a grad school. Um, there was a bunch of different options. Um, my professors at University of Florida, uh, they were kind of encouraging me to look at McGill as an option. Um, a couple of them, one of them in particular, had gotten their doctorate from McGill. The other one was looking to go get their doctorate from McGill. So they encouraged me. I looked at the school, was kind of blown away 
applied, it got in, and so it made that leap. Um, they're known, uh, as far as their education is concerned, there's two main professors there, which is Alberto Perez Gomez, which in architecture, he's a, a theorist of architecture that you will study, you know, throughout the education process, we have theory classes. A lot of the books that we study, he wrote. So wow, I, that's I really get cool. To go, yeah, to McGill and actually take his courses um, all semesters. You learn from the guy. From the guy, which is pretty <laughs> uh, the, and the other individual there. Unfortunately, I didn't take his classes because he was on sabbatical. But ju- which is uh, Avi Friedman, which is known for affor- the father of affordable design, uh, which is interesting because you know that's what I'm getting into now with Richard and you know custom home building with which the Y Homes project. For, uh, yeah, so yes. I mean that's that's a good transition to that. Uh, before we keep diving into your background because yeah. I'm fascinated by people who have an, an artist mind. And I can tell mm-hmm. from a quick look at your Instagram that you have a very artist mind. Um, yeah. So why homes project? We talked about it quickly before you came yeah. on the show. Run us through. I mean, that sounds like it's going to be something unique to make homes affordable for people who are doing house hacking. No, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how, what's that like? How do you design a home so that way it's house hackable? Right. So, uh, it boils down to the floor plan. Um, so, uh, for those of you don't know, that don't know, house hacking is a way uh, for individuals to rent out portions of their home um, to help alleviate or help some of the mortgage uh, burden, um, which is great for the current climate that we're in uh, with home prices and rising rental mm-hmm. uh, uh, rates, etc. Um, the issue with that, though, is most of the time you're reconverting or converting a, a house that wasn't designed from the beginning, uh, for that matter. So. A lot of times your uh, your spaces are either shared or you cross paths with that renter, um, and it kind of makes it kind of uncomfortable. Or a lot of people kind of steer away or avoid those um, uh, you know options as house hacking because it makes it uncomfortable. Um, which, so. which I will say, as me being in the business. Mm-hmm. If you have the opportunity to house hack, you absolutely should, and, and yes. definitely if you can do it with one of these designs, which I want to know how you're doing it, but. Mm-hmm we can't stress the importance enough. If you are buying a home and you can have someone come in and pay your, your mortgage or part of your mortgage for you, you are gaining equity in that house. That is such Correct. a great vehicle to, to grow wealth in and have someone else uh, paying it for you. And not have to worry about um, the, t- the tenant so much because you're there, you're monitoring your tenant, your right. friend, whoever family member is helping you pay that bill uh, the whole time. So I just want to touch well, on What's that. interesting about that is a lot of, you know, the individuals that we talk to about the idea that's the first thing they bring out, up is I don't want to share my house with someone else. And yeah, it's like, but I'm, you're willing to rent in an apartment where you share a whole building with 300 other people. So uh, good it's point. not far off. Good point. And so in doing so, you could either rent in an apartment or you can virtually, you know, have your own home, rent, you know, and be with one other person, but you're still gaining, like you're saying, the equity right. um, with, through a home ownership. So, so what does a floor plan, how do we design a floor plan that makes it seem as if I don't have someone living with me? Yeah, so um, I guess the approach was, is you know, Richard and I sat down. We want, we knew we wanted to uh, somehow have a prototype or a model that somewhat um, uh, addressed affordability. Um, but when approaching it in that way, we realized that you, we can't change, you know, the price of soil. We can't change the price of the commodities that go into it, especially in the last couple of years when they skyrocket. So there's not much that we can control. Uh, there's a lot of outside factors. Um, but we can control is their ability to hack it out or what they can do within that home. Um, so that was the approach um, is how can we create a floor plan um, that, you know, keeps or maintains the facade or that structural component, 
but allows the inhabitant to adjust the interior, either through partitions or doors, uh, so that it can evolve with the client over time. So what that means is if you're a young professional and a single individual, you can move into a home and then um, as you grow or your family grows, the home can evolve with you. Um, so you can hack out portions of the home. And what's great about the floor plan is you can hack, hack it in various different ways. It's not just set in one, one way, like one small room or something like that. You can actually go up and hack out a whole floor of your home or a bottom floor. Um, you really have a lot of options or choices through our floor plans. That's cool. Are any of them built and completed and being house hacked at the moment. Well, we have uh, we have eight lots in South St. Pete. Okay. So currently, we have one lot, one lot uh, which is on Thirteenth Ave South, um, which is uh, nearing completion. And then we have another lot um, that is for being framed up now on Fifteenth Ave South, which is seven five five Fifteenth Ave South, and that one goes on market. Uh, we're pre-selling that one today. Um, oh, really? And, yes. Okay, so this will be out in two weeks. So we'll see if that. Ha- what was the address again? Seven five five Fifteenth Ave South, um, and then we're going to use Thirteenth as kind of uh, the staging, you know, to kind of show the other options as well. I'm glad you mentioned South St. Pete. Tell me what your thought. What's happening there? I mean, you, so you're yeah. lots things. Real estate is a little bit cheaper down there. It is in terms yeah. of that. So what what's the uh, is that an area that you guys are, are targeting specifically? Yeah. So I'm I'm a big part of the lot acquisition within MTBH as well. Um, so Richard and I study areas you know within it's not just St. Pete, it's St. Pete and Tampa as well, um, different neighborhoods, um, and where we feel that that market is kind of trending or you know maybe moving to. Um, we try to, you know, be right on the fringe markets um, and so that, you know, the area kind of grows into the home. Mm-hmm. Um, where our focus is not really, you know, we could easily go out to, you know, Riverview or somewhere else and buy up, you know, a big swath of land and build a bunch of these homes. Um, but that wasn't our intent. Our intent is uh, why homes it stems from, w, well, originally was spelled WHI, Workforce Housing Initiative. Um, but that's more used for government organizations and stuff like that. So from a, a branding perspective, we changed it to Y, the, the letter Y, which stands for the Generation Y, which is the 24 through 40-year-olds that are, you know, coming into home ownership or the first-time homebuyers. Um, so we looked at where we could have infill lots, not necessarily buying of a bunch of, you know, property and building on it. And why that was important is the proximity to the city center or the city core. So being in Bartlett Park and these areas in South St. Pete, that's still accessible to that city center where your workforce housing client particularly would want to live. So these are your individuals that are your bartenders, your servers, et cetera, and they want to be in proximity. They don't want to have to drive. So. Um, the and they healthcare will, industry with the hospitals, right? There. Well, yeah. the hospitals, yeah, yep. you have living nurses, yep. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a great opportunity. Um, but we, you know, we saw the, the opportunity to go after the workforce housing. One, these are individuals that are, you know, most likely first time home buyers, but, um, want to be close to that city center and what, you know, has been a part of that fabric that has made, uh, St. Pete unique. Um, so we want to keep them close. Uh, that South St. Pete area just seems like a natural, um, corridor or natural area for that growth to kind of flow into and for those potential buyers to be interested in. Um, there, you know, north, um, near uh, Old Northeast, all that area is kind of overpriced at this point. Um, so that is kind of last frontier is to go south. Subjective on the overpriced part. Mm. You know, they, in terms of other neighborhoods, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's the... Um, 
the vibe that's there, the already every already established the the architecture of the older homes. I mean, it, it's all. It, I love everything that's happening because I love that there's new construction happening yes. in areas, yeah. and we're bringing this vibe. And you said what makes St. Pete u- unique, mm-hmm. and I'm curious from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Not MTBH perspective, but from Correct. Lance Moore's perspective, what what makes you uh, St. Pete unique to you? To me, it is um, what has always attracted me to St. Pete is their uh, I would call it their roots or their backbone has always been in the arts um, and that culture of being inclusive, um, uh, and I think that stems from having the uh, the Dolly Museum calling St. Pete home. Um, you know, growing up, coming to the museum, seeing it moved into its new location, et cetera, et cetera. Are you originally from um, here? I'm not. I'm from Central Florida. Okay. Um, but we, you know, obviously frequent um, Tampa and St. Pete. Yeah. Um, looking back to, you know, what St. Pete was and where it has come, um, I always tell friends, you know, Tampa is kind of like, like that, that corporate, um, the business to go getters. And then the St. Pete is that arts and culture, uh, the more civic side that um, is open minded and your thinkers, your artists, et cetera. And that's just kind of always called me. Um, and so that's kind of where I've, you know, fallen now. And I, I've, you know, hopefully established roots here and, and can grow. Um, but yeah, St. Pete in that, um, to me personally has always been the arts. It's something about crossing that bridge. It really is. It changes from the corporate to the art. I don't, I I don't know why. And I, I hope, uh, you know, I hope, uh, the city, you know, still, uh, allows for that growth to happen. Um, I think, you know, with the warehouse arts district and stuff like that, there's a lot of outside interest and, you know, what could, you know, potentially be. Um, and so I, I just hope that they allow for, uh, these artists to, uh, always have a home there and, uh, can continue to grow and that always be a, a part of I think the they community. Will. So. I think they will. I think with the city's have, has done a great job of keeping it local businesses and that's, Correct. you know, that's yeah. what, I mean, the, the show wouldn't be a thing if we didn't have so many so local true. businesses to it. Right. If it was just, you know, all the big corporations, well, how fun would that be? That wouldn't, there'd be no story there, you know, right. as we have now. And I think that's why St. Pete's amazing mm-hmm. is that there's so many stories. It's so true. It, it yeah. draws so many people in just like you, you're not originally from here, but no. Florida, Florida. But, but drawn here because of the, the art part, Mm-hmm. that it has and the open-mindedness and everything else that, that's going on here. And, you know, when you're surrounded by, um, back where I'm originally from Pennsylvania, okay. um, uh, Central PA, and we had this uh, strip of road. Anyone who, who's from Central PA knows it, Carlisle Pike, and it's all your big box. Mm-hmm. Big box just everywhere. And that's really it. You know, you got to really dive off into the suburbs to find a little local mom and pop. Mm-hmm. We're here, it's everywhere. Right, which local, is incredible. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah, it's awesome. Right, you know, you go in, you know, you can meet the owner, you talk to them, you can, we get them on the show. We know how what their, their what their story is. Um, I just, I love, I love St. Pete so much. I met met a guy uh, yesterday. For those that watched Lindy's episode, I went to her sound bowl healing uh, last night on, on Gulfport Beach, which That's was incredible. which was really yeah. cool. And and met a guy who's like said, oh, I just I just moved back over here um, from Tampa. I said, well, welcome back. And he's like, well, this has all been the same to me, uh, you know, always. And I'm like, well. I have a show called Talking St. Pete. So like I'm St. Pete, you know, sorry. And so to me, they're, they're far from the, the same. Um, what I want to dive back into your design process. Cause that's fascinating. And it, being an artist, we're talking about being open-minded and I'm right. always fascinated. I, I could go to the Dali museum every day mm-hmm. and just and pick out something different. What is your favorite part of the design process? Hmm. Uh, the creativity uh, one, but it's always the being able to, Okay, so from design 
in general, it's always fun to be creative, um, creating something new that hasn't existed. Um, when I then superimpose that into my daily job with MTBH and designing for clients, it's always fun to be able to create a space that they're going to call home um, and share those memories with their families for years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing the joy in their face and helping them, uh, you know, uh, allow that dream to become a built reality. Uh, so, you know, taking something that never existed and and giving it to them and allowing them to live in and then giving, you know, getting that feedback from them of how it was when they moved in and how it's doing. So it's the end process for you. It It, really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the, the finished product and seeing a satisfied customer. All those months of hard work and stress. And a lot of them, you know, you, they grow irritated with you over, you know, through the process and then they love you and then they grow irritated with you. (laughs) So you got this up up and down. It's a roller coaster. And at the end to finally move in, uh, take over the, you know, the home, um, and start that new chapter of their life. Um, it's incredible to be a part of that process. That that's really cool. Where does the inspiration come from? Is that is that more from from Richard from you? Like, how do you guys stay up to, to the trends or what's you know? Because your 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 mm-hmm. designs are I won't say timeless, but they're mm-hmm. close to it. They are, you know. Yeah. And so, where does that inspiration come from? Are we looking at things that are happening in different cities around the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, just a taste of their own, like how, like how, yeah, how does that so happen? It, you know, in the end, it's it's Richard's company. That's his brand um, that I'm designing for. So there's a whole branding aspect of it, uh, where he's gotten his name from over the last decade, and how what he's been able to build. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes with a reputation. Um, so some of those design elements are coming from uh, that history um, that I need to always incorporate in each of our projects. Um, but I always challenge Richard too. That's a part of why he, you know, hired me. Um, it was to challenge, to keep up, like you mentioned, with those trends, uh, to question the process, um, and and you know potentially evolve that into something new or a little bit different each project. Um, but yeah, I think it, it it's um, it's a balancing. You know, it, you know, it, it can't. It's not just me being able to design on my own mm-hmm. and my own thoughts and, and process into every home. I'm still in the end working for MTBH, and that's his brand uh, so, that I have to respect. In, so, in that so way, he so. he has the branding. So that's part of the style. Yeah, yeah and and so but, but as you guys are building, are you how? How much are you paying attention to how, I mean, cause I feel like things change pretty quickly in terms of design of what mm-hmm. people like. I mean, what do you, it does. where does that come from? You looking at flicking through magazines, you're looking through Pinterest, watching home and garden channel. You know what I mean? Like how, how help me understand well, that. I think the clients come in that way, okay. you know, from my, my profession, how I'm trained, you know, it comes a little bit more natural innately. Um, I, the way that I approach every project is context, context, context. Um, the way that I lay out the home and the floor plan, um, I'm really uh, big on uh, datums and connections within that context and within that site. How are we framing views or aspects of the you know the site uh, to make it more unique? There's you know hidden gems or little elements in the house that you wouldn't really you know recognize or a normal person. But when you walk through, you're all, you, you know you're, all, you're like you're amazed, and then you don't really know why necessarily, but that's because it was planned that way with intent from the beginning. Um, as far as the trends and stuff like that, trends come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's maybe kind of comes goes back to what you mentioned as Richard's um, designs being timeless, and, and they are in many ways. Um, I think he, st- he sticks to, or we stick to the roots of um, bringing the outside in, so a lot of natural light, a lot of windows. So we just bathe the home with natural light, which is incredible. Um, and then 
just really contemporary style. We have really minimal um, uh, design palette when it comes to finishes. Um, but I think I'm pushing Richard to get outside the box a little bit in that regards. Um, so that will change. Uh, trends change, though. They come and go. Uh, so sometimes we have to educate the clients, whereas they bring, you know, magazines, they bring inspiration from house or whatever. Uh, sometimes you have to guide them, even though they think that's what they want, um, that maybe they should lean a different way because over time, um, depending on what they want to do with the house, it may be a better decision for them. And when you said that, for some reason, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, uh, butcher the quote, but what's the, what the, how does Steve Jobs say it, that we're going to sell them something that they, we didn't even, they didn't even know they no, wanted? Correct. Yeah. You know, and it just sounds like that's what you guys are. And it is. And that's an uphill paddle because a lot of times, and especially in the custom home building side, uh, they have a very, uh, you know, strict idea of what they think they want. And so trying to teach them and trying to guide them that some of the decisions we make, we're making may not be exactly what you thought you were going to get, but once you move in, I think you'll understand right. um, the way that the home lives is much different than you know, potentially what you thought it may should look like. Mm -hmm. I love that you touched on, on trends and how they come and go because mm -hmm. it's definitely not something how, how you build something timeless. No, and the natural light and probably more natural materials, uh, things like that, that definitely just, just hang out and stick around for a while. What's the hardest part of the design process for you? Like where you're like, Man, like this is a struggle. I feel like every artist, there's got to be some part through the process. Yeah, I think we touched on it a little bit in the last uh, iteration, but the uh, it's trying to get clients to come. So it's that part. It's, it is. It's yeah. the client relation. I mean, you're building a trust with them. Um, this is a big purchase for them. It's mm -hmm. a big uh, milestone within their life. Um, yeah. A lot of times this is the largest purchase that uh, individuals or couples will, will make in their lifetime, Absolutely. right? And, Absolutely. And a lot of them... When they're coming to build a home, a custom home, most of the time this is going to be the forever home as well. Um, so those decisions are very important to them. Um, so it's just getting through that process of um, trying to, one, marriage what they desire to have and what we think they may want um, or how it will live later. Um, I think it's very difficult Um a lot of people have, um, you know, a very particular way of, of thinking when it comes to design. Um, and I think that, you know, they're dictated a lot by what you see on social media, et cetera. Um, and they're reminded about that every day, but it may, it may not be uh, the best decision. Um, so it's educating the client. I guess that is say. tough, especially when it comes to people's home, because they think they have it a certain way. Right. Yeah. And it's hard for them to make that decision. Yeah. They're indecisive. Well, yeah, as much it, as they think they know what they want, they don't really. And when it comes down to, hey, you have to pick A or B, it's, it's a hard decision for it them. Is. So. It is. How is designing homes in St. Pete different? Because if I'm looking at your background here, it looks like you've done some work in other countries. I have, yes. Yeah. And, and, and right to, to name uh, Canada, China, Bahamas, Mexico, Jamaica, and Dominican in France. Correct. You have yes. homes that you've helped design that are built in these countries right now? I have. Well, those are all hospitality projects. Okay. So they're more uh, resort-based. Um, with a, It was with a, a company I was with. I'll go through. There was one other home I built, which is in uh, Cancun. I designed for a client there. That's really cool. Uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the other projects that you mentioned was with a company, well, two companies that uh, were mostly in the hospitality market. Um, so I've been really um, blessed with the ability to kind of uh, have a little bit of experience in each of those markets. So mm -hmm. I started in hospitality. I moved. I had a, a brief stint in more higher industrial um, healthcare, and then into residential. So I've been able to have a really broad understanding of design within each of those markets and contexts, and able to now bring that knowledge back 
um, into residential, which has always been somewhat my passion. So I'm glad I'm, I'm finally here. Um, but it was a great learning uh, process um, with those companies. With the the res- it was mainly resorts. Um, so within those uh, resorts, there's you know bars, nightclubs, restaurants. So mm-hmm. it's really fast paced, a lot of fun. Um, but yes, each of those projects are in, in those locations. Yeah, that, dude, that's awesome. I mean, you, your, your background is really cool. I can tell you're definitely passionate about what you do. What do you think St. Pete's missing? I mean, how, like, mm. you know, you're down here hanging out, working, doing everything. Like, what, what do you think St. Pete's missing? Um, uh, well, in residential side, we always talk about it as the missing middle. It's, and we're trying to help solve that uh, a little bit through house hacking, maybe more so in uh the ability to try to help the city uh, more broadly uh, accept and allow ADUs and stuff like that. Um, that's a first step. But Which they we, are doing. They are. Yep. Um, and they have already, you know, allowed, you know, certain corridors and stuff like that that we could do it within. Um, but we need more broad, missing middle, different typology of homes that, you know, haven't really been yeah. implemented, especially in Florida, um, br- more broader. Um, as a city, um, still on the, the arts and I guess design side, um, would just be, uh, I I guess Tampa's doing it a little bit with water street is trying to bring in some, um, significant architecture. Um, I guess we have the pier now, um, uh, these outside elements as an architect are important. Um, I think it starts bringing in those outside eyes, um, St. Pete's kind of been um, overlooked in Tampa region, you know, for years now. I think we're finally getting our— We're on the map. We are. We're here. We're here. People are noticing us, um, and uh, I think it's a great turning point for St. Pete and the Tampa Bay region. Lance, I got I got to ask you. Yes. As, as we're in this space, everything going on, what mm-hmm. do you think's happening with the raised development? It's very interesting. There's a lot of controversy right now involved around what is happening— um, but I think, you know, I think it's, it's smart first to zoom back more broadly uh, about the whole process. And maybe you can, we can even bring in what happened with the pier um, and some concerns I have maybe for St. Pete moving forward in, in those RFP scenarios. Um, first of all, I think, well, you know, anything happening on that 86 you know, acres is going to be great for St. Pete. Um, it's needed, um, especially with the new discussion, you know, trying to, uh, you know, zero in the workforce housing, all that. Anything that happens there is going to be great for the city. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. Um, my concern comes from is just the RFP process that happened with the pier. You know, we have amazing architects that were interested in the pier. They come for in. For those who aren't familiar, what is the RFP process? Uh, request for a proposal. Uh, okay. So it's looking for outside qualified, um, you know, uh, businesses, usually architects or designers. So it could be, in this case, developers that are uh, request for bid. They're, they're you know, um, s- submitting a proposal for, you know, an upcoming project. They usually narrow down, that down to three or four um, and then one and for of the Ray Stadium, I'm pretty sure it was there was like four or five. There was in the, right, yeah. and in both, I think in both scenarios, yeah. the first one was whittled down to three. Yep. Um, that same individual, that group, was in on this one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it's concerning because they did that again. I, obviously, that was under a different mayor, so maybe maybe the new mayor wanted his you know opportunity to weigh in, and then I think that's what happened. Um, you know, sometimes there's good and bad, you know, involved in that. I think what may happen in the future is if, you know, outside parties, it's a big investment for these firms to do these RFPs. Remember when I was at AECOM, uh, there was this big bridge that was being built over, um, downtown. And I mean, that segment of the firm was working on that proposal over five years, six years, and in the end they lost. So, 
it's a big investment. So if we keep throwing these out, we're going to deter, you know, these bigger firms to even be interested in, 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 in you know, submitting a proposal. It could put them out of business. It really could. Yeah. yeah if they're investing that much time yeah. and stuff like that. Because a lot of these larger corporations, although, you know, those firms may have it built in, they're usually partnering with local firms. And those local firms sometimes have to spend all their time on those proposals, right? So um, now zooming in, you know, more uh, closely, I think it's very interesting how they chose the Heinz and the Rays in order, you know, to do this. I think their proposal was really good. I think it was probably, you know, one of the two top ones uh, that were submitted. Did you read um, all of them? I did. I of went course. through every single one um, and looked who was on the, all their teams and everything. Um, I think it's interesting that they chose them and then uh, Brian all came back and said, you know, we may not even be here. Yeah, so, so what does that even mean? You know, for the I, city, like, like how are you going to tease us like that? Say, yeah, and you know what, if we decide to do it, this is yeah. who's going to do it, but we're not going to commit. I know. Well, let's go. Let's see. What's, what's happening? And we're going to find out really quick too, because they're supposed to, within phase one, it's supposed to be the construction of, of the stadium. So, you know, so if they don't even know, but they're committed. So, I don't know. I think it was kind of a play on the city's part in a way, mm. calling their bluff uh, to say, "Okay, we're gonna you're 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 forming a team. We're gonna go ahead and give it to you." Kind of like you almost have to be here because they didn't even within their proposal show what would happen if they weren't here. Right. Um, my concern within the proposal direct, directed towards the Rays though was the design of the, the stadium. Out of all the designs that we saw between the first you know proposals and and the second set of proposals was lacking of all of them. Um, so I think hopefully that, you know, Populous is the design architect on the actual stadium itself. They do incredible work. Hopefully that was just an iteration um, and that it will change. Um, but I think they kind of, you know, fell short on that. For those that are maybe a little behind or, or not from here, we, we have a whole thing where with Tropicana Field getting revamped for the for the raise, an 86-acre proposal that, that was uh, just selected on at the end of January. And there's always been this discussion of should the, the Tampa Bay Rays be in St. Pete or should mm -hmm. they be in Tampa? And now we have all the plans laid out in front of us that it's all pretty looks really nice that okay this stadium is going to be, be built here in st pete uh, with all these housing projects and commercial divisions all this stuff uh, but the commitment from the raise if i'm right mm -hmm. is is not there yet to say we're going to stay in st pete whereas we could go to tampa but to where is there and as far as i'm not paying attention to what's happening on the other side of this bridge as much as I probably should. Mm -hmm. To your knowledge, is there any proposal plan of anything to build a stadium on the other There's side? There's one that's been lingering around. Um, the I forgot his name, but the uh, owner of Blue Pearl, the uh, Benton Hospitals, they he went in and bought up one of the last uh, projects in Tampa Bay right on the outskirts of Ebor, so just north of Channelside. Mm -hmm. um, and he was trying to get the Rays um, in there, but he's since, um, since they kind of... Um, rejected that offer he's already uh, created a whole nother development um proposal um for that area and it kind of so stems do we think down it's a bluff? connects to you think it's just like th there's one person who's just not it's not like we're just not committing i um, mean from from the sports. from the raise yeah, yeah i think i think they had some issues you know i don't i don't know everything you know i'm I assuming mean, the Tampa they people... had some issues with what happened when they thought about splitting the team with uh montreal um, cause you know, the expos are no longer right, there. Right. So Montreal wanted the team back. And so there was some behind the scenes, uh, work going on. And I don't think each party within the Rays ownership, uh, knew about what was happening or the board didn't approve of that. 
So now I'm wondering if he just doesn't want to commit because he's afraid of backlash from the board. I don't. I don't really know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of speculation, I, right? right? What's going on? It's funny. The it's city's fun to, calling their bluff by just saying, "Here, we're giving it to you. Now you have to make a choice." And right. Like here, here it is. You didn't give us any other choice within the proposal without the stadium, so you have to make it happen at this time. Um, or they may have caught wind of they're looking elsewhere, and so they want them to stay, and so they just gave it to them. Um, I'm not really sure. So uh, okay, so that brings up a point. And then the, if since you read through all the proposals mm-hmm. and you said was the good, w- would that be the one that you would have chosen? Um, it would have been the second. No, there was another one. The the same group that they originally awarded to their uh, reproposal, and they also uh, in both scenarios offered an option if the raise w- wasn't involved. So um, I think they had a little bit better proposal. Their architecture firm was Gensler. Um, I like that firm a little bit better, um, but um, it, it's still a really great proposal. A lot yeah. of the stuff that you know they're proposing, hopefully it comes true. I think another concern of St. Pete and the community, the greater community, should be how it's going to be funded, uh, where the financing, and kind of read through the numbers and really understand um, what those financing structures mean. Um, I think the raise have had some issues with attendance. Um, they're the third lowest attended um, ball team for quite a few years now. They can barely, you know, right, right now that means that they're only averaging about 13,000 per game, which is nothing. Yeah. Um, but a, a, another team, you know, to take for example would be the Marlins. They're second to the last in attendance, um, yet they just got a stadium a few years ago. Uh, so if the community wants to go out and see what happened with that stadium and how it was funded – and who actually paid for it, I think uh, those should be more of concern, uh, you know, from the community than anything. Right. Uh, so that, you know, we're not hmm. footing that tax bill right? Um, in order to help someone else. As you're saying all this, parties. I'm like, who do we need to get on the show to have this conversation <laughs> about that knows more? Yeah, that, yeah so that knows a lot more about the what's yeah. happening behind the scenes. Yeah, because like the people want to know. The people no, want to really know. do. In the comments, yeah. if you can think, or someone knows, who do, who do we need to get on here? To figure this out, the mystery of the raise, do they stay or, or do they go? Dude, you, you, from doing your education in Canada, mm-hmm. helping these these world projects and, and everything like that, I'm, uh, you have, you've had to come across some, some interesting knowledge and information. Do you, are you a reader? I read not as much as I, I, I used to read more. You got any books now. you would recommend? Um, I thought about that. Uh, there is one. It's going to be somewhat controversial, but uh, uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules. Uh, Dude, I don't know. So. It's a great book. It is. He's coming yeah. to Tampa here soon. Really? Yeah, he's coming. Okay. To, he's gonna. In the, I saw him um, last year. Okay. And he was at the uh, Mahaffey. I can't ever pronounce yeah, it. Mahaffey, Mahaffey yeah, Theater. Yeah, yeah. And now he's at, at the Amali. Okay. Filling that bad wow. boy up. Yeah. So so yeah, I think that's in March. Uh, we got a couple people going over there. But no, that's that's a great book. It is. Yeah. Um, I think one of his rules, which I think is really interesting, is uh, don't always assume that you know more than the person talking or that you don't know something that he doesn't or that you don't, right? So a lot of times you get into situations you can learn from everyone, uh, no matter their, their, their background or where they're from or where you're from. Yeah, everyone uh, has a different perspective. 100%. What, a big thing that I teach the team all the time, she's laughing because she knows where I'm going with this, is I'm a big, uh, The Four Agreements is a book that I tell okay. everyone to read. Have you read it? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah, well, I need we'll, to. we'll have to get, can we make a note? We're sending them a copy. Okay. Um, f- f- and the first agreement is don't make assumptions. Right, yeah. To that point of, of in the, I mean, just overall for everything, don't don't make assumptions over, yeah. over anything. Um we got don't make assumptions, be impeccable with your words, don't take anything personally, and always do your best. That's incredible. You live by those yeah. four things. 
Especially to the one, don't take everything, you know, personally. That, that's huge, especially in today, you know, yeah. uh, with social media and everything else. It's Everyone is um, a little uh, too, uh, I don't know, re- responsive to, you know, like they take everything personal and yeah. it really shouldn't be. No, nothing's um, personal. No. Nothing's personal. It's always what's going on inside. And the more reason why I love St. Pete, I'm making a, a weird U-turn today to get this parking spot. And as <laughs> I'm doing it, I kind of cut some people off that were about to cross the street. They weren't. Right. It's not like I was about to hit them. But I feel like up north or where I'm from, I was ready for them to be like, what are you doing? And they just smiled and waved and they like knew what I was doing. It was like such an, a peaceful thing this morning. I was like, that's why I freaking love this city. Yeah. Everyone's just always about it. Uh, I, I got to go back to that because St. Pete just makes me so happy. Um what what else are are you doing in your in your free time, man? So I mean, it sounds like you're so passionate about work. I can see that, right? But yes. I mean, it comes to hanging out. Like, what are some hobbies you you got going on? I love to golf. Nice. So um, you got a favorite course? Uh, no, not in Tampa. I do oh, not. No. Okay. I would love to play stream song. That's a goal of mine. Yeah. Um. Uh. I played uh, Palmasia a couple times. I love that course. It's small. Um. But no, I love playing golf. Yeah. It's a good uh, escape. It's amazing. Get out get, on the golf course and just forget about just, it. Just, yeah, be everything. out there in nature, hanging out. We're in Florida. What a better place to do it, you know? Decompress. Decompress. This is the best time uh, a, a year to do to do all that. What are some of your favorite places to eat since you're a little bit of a foodie? Yes. So I, I watched some of your other podcasts, and it's funny because there's some similarities. Number one, Wild Child. I love that. I love, love Wild that. Child. And number two would be Linger. That I love that spot. Number three would be El Retorno. I haven't been there. And then Tell me I about that. In the fourth one. Yeah, uh, go, go. The fourth one would be Craft Cafe. I can't, dude, <laughs> love that. Yeah. I'm gluten intolerant, so yeah. there's been, you know, a godsend as far as uh, getting pastries yeah. in the morning and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um, uh, El Retorno, so it's an Italian restaurant off of Central, okay. uh, right across from where they're building 400 Central. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've walked, I've walked past it. It's right by my office. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, a favorite dish there? Something you um, recommend? It's a, um, yeah, there is. I don't remember the name of it, um, but it's a type of ravioli. Okay. Um, it's very difficult being gluten intolerant to find right. places that cater to um, a pasta or, or something like for that. For sure. Options yeah. for gluten intolerant. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Rotorno. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a hop skipping away. So I got to check that, check that spot out. Um, so, how can we, how can we connect with you? Um, specifically, if we wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch? Personal? Yeah. Um, well, I have Instagram and then email as well. Yeah. Um, my personal e- Instagram is at Mr. Cotain. So that's M-R-C-O-T-A-I-N. Okay. Maybe the guys, we can uh, put that put in the bottom, bottom here. Yeah. Um, obviously, shout out to MTBH, MTBH sure. Studios. Follow us. Um, like, share. Like, share, um, do all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, obviously, email. I would yeah. email uh, lance at mtbhstudios.com. Um and you can reach me there. Perfect. Folks, if you need someone to design your home, this guy is definitely definitely the man. Um, and you need to go check out their website, mtbhstudios.com, right? Uh, because the designs there are, are freaking awesome. Um, Lance, thanks for coming on, man. Really, so pre- yeah, appreciate, I appreciate you. It was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll, we'll see you here on the next one.